Today, we're going to explore the great depths of the unofficial micronation Sealand, a World War II fort that has, in its 80 years, seen pirate radio, coups, petrol bombing, fires, and indirectly supported international crime rings and their money laundering and drug trafficking schemes. Welcome to Take a Seat, the channel dedicated to extraordinary people and fascinating historical events. You can help the channel grow by sharing and leaving a review. This was created primarily based on the James Grimmelman report, Sealand, Havenco and the Rule of Law. Creation In 1943, His Majesty's Fort Ruffs was built and placed 6.9 miles or 6 nautical miles from the coast of Suffolk, Britain to defend vital shipping lanes against Nazi mine-laying aircraft. It was one and the first of four Monsell naval forts, named after the designer Guy Monsell, built in the Thames estuary, which this one was at the time in international waters. After the war, as it was known then, Ruff's Tower was vacated by an approximate 120 Royal Naval personnel in 1956. Things weren't interesting for the tower until Paddy Roy Bates comes along, who was a veteran having served as a major in North Africa and Italy. Returning to Britain, he created a business empire of sorts through factories, fishing and pirate radio. Ruff's Tower Occupation Without going into too much detail, the 1960s saw a wave of pirate radio due to the British Broadcasting Corporation encroaching a legal monopoly over the transmission of radio, with anyone else trying to transmit facing prosecution. Bates and others used ships to sail out of the three-mile territorial waters of Britain and transmit pirate radio broadcasts without fear of radio laws, and businesses would advertise with them. Bates starts Radio Essex, but not on Ruff's Towers. No, he set up on the closest of the Monsell forts called Knock John by driving the competition Radio City off the platform. Knock John is one and a half miles off the British coast, and therefore, yes, it was in British jurisdiction. The government wasn't that much bothered until many pirate radio founders were being shot, which was heavily publicised and so in 1966, Roy Bates was served a summons for unlicensed broadcasting. He was found in violation of the Wireless Telegraphy Act on 30th of November 1966 and fined £100, or £2,383.45 in today's money. Roy appealed, but this was unsuccessful, and so he didn't hang around for long and moved on to Ruff's Tower, where again he drove off competitors this time Radio Caroline. Bates and his 14-year-old son, Michael, set up the broadcasting equipment, but it failed when he left four men with only three days' worth of food on the tower, who then had to be rescued 17 days later by a British lifeboat. And so Radio Caroline moved back in in April 1967, but from what seems to be a derived plan, Bates found a joint operation with Caroline, and on the 17th of April, relieved one of the Caroline employees with his son and his own employee, David Barron. Two days later, another Radio Caroline employee got severe rope burn and left with the final employee to go ashore. The day after, on 20th of April, Radio Caroline sent a replacement crew to the tower, but Barron refused to let them on, giving Roy Bates control again. 
It wouldn't be that easy, however, as a week passes by where Bates and Baron had to ward off a Radio Caroline boarding party with air rifles and bottles of paraffin, and once again three months later on June 27th. By autumn of 1967, Paddy Roy Bates was firmly in control of Ruff's Tower, and he showed it off to his family, bringing his wife Joan, daughter Penny along, with Michael his son aboard. Establishing a Nation While Bates was gaining a foothold on Ruff's Tower, the British government were fighting hard against pirate radio, and in July 1967, the Marine Broadcasting Offences Act was introduced. This effectively made it illegal for British citizens to broadcast on the high seas and prohibited businesses advertising with them. Due to legal entanglements with Europe, however, the authority of the airways at the time, the Postmaster General, wanted complete destruction of Ruff's Tower. Open cabinet and closed governmental meetings proceeded with many options put to the table. In the end, the Ministry of Defence put to Roy Bates that the tower belonged to them and demanded that they leave with the offer of £5,000 or £116,100 in today's money. Bates refused and in return demanded, which he knew would not be accepted, £90,000 instead or £2,090,000 today. The press got wind and began reporting on the debacle, including the fact that the Royal Marines were on standby something the government certainly wanted downplayed. After receiving the idea from friends at the pub, Roy would take this opportunity to declare the tower an independent principality. And of course, he was now Prince of Sealand. The Ministry of Defence hit back and stated, this is ludicrous, Mr Bates is trespassing and it now looks as if he's being very foolish. The Ministry's comeback wasn't the mic drop expected as attempts to resolve the matter would fall through again and again and again. Bates's boat would spring a leak while in Harwich Harbour on the 14th of February 1967 and so customs refused them to departure due to seaworthiness. Roy and Joan were not too pleased and claimed to the media that their children had been harpooned on Sealand while customs rebutted that Bates could just as well hire another boat. The press coverage continued and public opinion wasn't swayed in the defence of the government, and so customs relented. Another twist to the situation was when David Barron appealed to the Ministry of Defence, offering to obtain possession of the fort in a non-violent manner and turn it over to them. The suspicious MOD thought the scenario was implausible. Bates, however, went to the Daily Telegraph with a sworn affidavit from Barron who stated that it was the Ministry who approached him, asking for the fort to be taken by force. On the 6th of May 1968, Michael Bates shot at the ship Agiria, which was working on a buoy close to Sealand. Michael and Roy were arrested when back on British soil, indicted against the Firearms Act, but the courts found that Sealand was out of British jurisdiction on October of that year. For now at least, the question of UK sovereignty over Sealand was now at rest. Expansion The now Prince Roy Bates began to think on how to develop his nation, despite the UK government never regarding it as a state. First there were Sealand stamps, which were issued in 1969 called Famous Explorers, but these would never be legal as Bates was not a member of the Universal Postal Union. 
1972, Sealand issued coins under the Sealand dollar, nominally pegged against the US dollar. The Belgian government was approached to adopt commercial ties, but Britain continues the staunch stance that Sealand was not a recognised state. A promotional brochure was produced explaining plans to build a hotel, but this never materialised. Bates began dealing with German investors who started to push Sealand sovereignty in 1973, reaching out to the British Embassy along with other countries. They sent letters to Scotland, Monaco and the German government and appealed to Indonesia, Senegal, Ireland and Nigeria. To help with their case, they received legal opinions from Dr. Walter Leisner in 1975 and Professor Bella Vitani in 1978. Additional brochures were produced with plans for Sealand's development that included a port, office towers, a golf course and a bridge to British mainland. The German investors also looked at the idea of using Sealand as a tax haven. If Germany viewed the platform as part of the UK for treaty purposes but the UK didn't levy taxes, then they may avoid taxes on Sealand income. Germany put a pin in the idea very quickly by insisting that taxes applied as it was out of British territorial waters. During all of this, one of Bates' contacts, Alexander Achenbach, became Prime Minister and even drafted Sealand's 1975 constitution. But in 1976, while living in Luxembourg, he was arrested in connection to an illegal diploma mill from Sealand. He tried to use Sealand's sovereignty as a legal defence and pushed this to the city of Aachen by asking them to terminate his German citizenship, instead claiming he was a Sealand citizen. This failed and he continued to be a German citizen, but this wasn't the end of Achenbach, as he had plans of his own for Sealand, and a rebellion was rising. Thanks for taking a seat. Links to resources are in the description below. Please consider sharing and popping a review on to tell me your thoughts of the channel.